to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for the ASHP Pharmacy Leadership Podcast. This series focuses on leadership topics within pharmacy practice, including the business of pharmacy, development of leadership skills, career transitions, and more. My name is Caitlin Dervey, and I will be your host. Today, we're sitting down with Megan Musselman and Libby Johnson to discuss how to place value on emergency medicine pharmacists and use data to optimize and expand services. Welcome, and thank you for joining us today. So for our first question, we'll get started talking about what metrics you guys use or recommend to place value on the impact of emergency medicine pharmacists. And if you guys would also introduce yourselves to our audience. All right. Thank you, Caitlin. I'm Libby Johnson. I am a emergency medicine clinical pharmacist and critical care clinical pharmacist supervisor at JPS Health in Fort Worth, Texas. Clinical pharmacist metrics are really hard to define. There's a lot of barriers um, just based on the fact that a lot of what we do is based on other healthcare providers taking our recommendations, which can be kind of limiting. I mean, practice varies so much between healthcare systems in terms of what clinical pharmacists are doing. And those of us who practice in the ED specifically, our unique role really just complicates that even further. What one emergency medicine pharmacist does in their ED may be vastly different from what does, you know, even just a few miles down the road, just depending on the patient population that they serve, what the hospital has asked for from the emergency pharmacist. So really, it has to be institution specific um, when looking at the best metrics for your hospital as a whole. Over the years, there's been a lot of look at metrics and looking at, do we look at cost savings? Do we look at number of interventions made, which is hard because it's not really a measurable outcome? Can we look at outcome data from some of the things we're actually doing? And so it's been, you know, a really hot topic over the last five or 10 years. There have been a few studies really looking at cost avoidance or savings, But as some other articles have pointed out and just looking at it in general, it's hard to really look at that and say, oh, a clinical pharmacist, you know, in one year can save millions of dollars with one FTE just because it's kind of, it looks like inflated cost savings essentially because we don't really have a great way to put value on what we're doing. So it's a huge limitation. I know we really like to shoot for the moon, you know, and show what we're doing, but we have to make it something tangible that's easy to swallow as well when you see that data. I think actual patient-centered measurable outcomes are really probably our most important and our best bet in terms of looking at metrics for clinical pharmacists. You know, cost avoidance can be seen within that as well. But I think looking at hard dollars perspective can be hard. I know that's easy to sell to the leadership suite. They like to see, you know, what they're getting out of it, but it's just not necessarily the best metrics for us. Obviously, emergency medicine pharmacists can use some of the metrics you'd use for any clinical pharmacist, depending on what they're doing. You know, your typical antimicrobial stewardship, culture review, de-escalation impact, um, you know, counseling of patients. Did we recommend a medication that avoided them having to be admitted because they were able to go home and get treated? Your more bread and butter things, you know, anticoagulation, pharmacokinetics, 
you know, we are still doing a lot of those activities in the ED. Um, we just kind of have some other unique things that we can look at as well. Um, specific to the EM arena, metrics do get a little more complicated, and it does take some work documentation-wise to really be able to show what you're doing, which I think is probably our biggest barrier for most emergency medicine pharmacists. And yes, it's nice to know, you know, how many codes or priority alerts or intubations are we as emergency medicine pharmacists going to, but that just, those numbers alone don't have a lot of meat to them um, and a lot of grit in terms of what we are doing. Um, so I know with my institution and some others, depending on how, I guess, detailed you can get with your documentation. Um, we've started looking at, you know, pharmacist involvement in Alteplace and your stroke patients or Tenecteplace if your shop is using that now. Um, really looking at, you know, time to TPA, assessment of contraindications. We here have put the onus on pharmacists to be responsible for like the timeout documentation prior to thrombolysis and some of the other key pieces within stroke and within the stroke survey that they really like. Um, so we have some really easy, measurable, and tangible things that we're doing, which buy into our hospital's main goals as well. So that's been great for us to really look at those stroke-specific pieces. For rapid sequence intubation, you know, you can look at, oh, a pharmacist was there, and this is how long it took, you know, to get to post-sedation in that patient and optimize you know, that before they go to scan or what have you. Same with like antibiotics and sepsis. You can look at a pharmacist was present. So those antibiotics were actually appropriate based on what we were treating and the patient's history. And they were able to get them, you know, in a faster time than they would be without. Um, we've also even looked at like our blood pressure management and hypertension emergency goals. You know, we have the pharmacist kind of write, you know, what happened, what they did, what interventions they made to help get there faster. And I think it's these direct patient care outcomes that it's where our value really lies. It's just harder to pull quick data on those outcomes, which I know is the limiting factor for it. You can't just run a report and like get the data from it. You know, you have to actually have documentation supporting it. I don't think it's unfair to ask a clinical pharmacist to documentation. Um, you know, our nursing and physician colleagues very heavily document what they do for their billing purposes. Um, it just always hasn't been something pharmacy has done because obviously in the inpatient side, we don't really bill. So it's just never been something that we've really picked up on, depending on what your hospital expectations are. Um, but I do think it is something that is important to really get that more detailed quality metrics and data, because um, you're not going to be able to get that from just a report. I know it can be hard also to find someone who has time to look through all those things on the back end, like, oh, it's nice that we've put in, you know, these notes and, oh, these are the impacts that we've made. But that means also someone has to be able to go in on the back end and actually look at that and put that into a portable format for the C-suite. I know that's a really heavily invested thing for nurses and physicians. They tend to have a lot of quality people and data miners. It's generally harder, from my experience, to get that buy-in for pharmacists. Um, but I think that's important for having these more, I guess, tangible um, metrics. You know, we need to be looking at those patient-centered outcomes that we have been helpful in. You know, numbers are great, but we really need to know, like, what we are doing to make those things happen.
I'll add in my two cents here. My name is Megan Musselman. I am a emergency medicine clinical pharmacy specialist and a PGY2 emergency medicine pharmacy residency program director at North Kansas City Hospital. I really appreciate Libby going into such depth about all the things that we can do to optimize metrics. Just some things I was thinking of as she was talking to kind of talk about ways that we have strategized ourselves here um, at my shop are we've really partnered with our quality department. We have found that while people have really tried to find tools to really optimize the pharmacist's presence into those what we called hard dollars, um, we have found that a lot of times how we've translated our value has been through outcome metrics and quality. So we've really looked at our what we call our time critical diagnosis program. So such things as sepsis, STEMI, stroke, code blue, so on and so forth. And things that we've done is we have strategically placed the pharmacist as helping meet metrics or improve times. So for example, speaking again about sepsis outcomes, one of the things that we consistently fell out on was the amount of fluids in a timely manner. So we were able to build a program where pharmacists, based on an order of 30 mils per kilo, could calculate it based on ideal body weight versus actual body weight, depending on the patient's BMI. And that actually helped to make sure that we weren't giving too much fluids to certain, like our obese patients, and it allowed us to still meet that metric. And we have been able to change our compliance rate to almost 100%. Um, just like a lot of other uh, institutions have done, when it comes to our thrombolysis strategies, we've been able to allow our pharmacists to go to the bedside for certain things, such as stroke and PE. So we have like a rapid response to that. And they're able to assist with administration. And we've been able to show decrease in door to administration times for both of these types of situations. And the most recent endeavor we've done here of late has been with Code Blue. We have partnered with Get With The Guidelines, and we've really looked at how to enhance those strategies and meet those different measures to help basically drive those patient-centered outcomes. And by doing that, by having the pharmacist present and building different protocols and continuing to increase our presence at the bedside, we've been able to move the needle on a lot of those as well. Thank you both for all that. Those sound like great ideas and things for our audience to look into for different metrics that they can think about for their departments and facilities. With these metrics, what sort of things do you present to your C-suite and how do you present this data to try to help with expanding or justifying services? So I'll start with that. Um, thank you, Caitlin. That's a really good question to kind of bring home the point of metrics. Um, one of the things that we have focused on here is unnecessary emissions, those patients that come with like low risk DVT or PEs, as well as re-emissions. So one of the things we look at is we've started to provide a um, select number of uh, meds to beds, but basically we discharge patient, patients with medications in their hand. So we kind of, we have an outpatient pharmacy on site here North Kansas City Hospital. And so we are looking into having those starter packs and assessing those patients to be able to get them a 30-day supply and follow-up of a you know preferred oral anticoagulant for those low-risk DVTEs and PEs. So we're not having them come into the hospital. And so that is something that you can 
translate more to hard dollars that you can give to the C-suite to let them know that you're reducing an emission or a re-emission based on historical controls. That's one thing that we've done here and hoping to further that into other things with the release or the removal of the X waiver that has been something that we've been looking at as well to provide um, buprenorphine to patients and working on a transition plan to help with that as well to reduce uh, re-emissions for that patient population and that is another metric once we get it up and going that we will be reporting to administration as well. Other things that we have done is that we help with other types of programs, just like reducing, like I already said, emissions and re-emissions, but a lot of that has been driven by a med history process. So leveraging technicians to do that and helping us making sure we're getting accurate histories on the front end. That's something that has been discussed a lot in the literature, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but that is something that we've been able to translate to the C-suite as well as helping reduce those patients from being admitted if we're able to identify a reason for presenting to the ED as well as re-admissions because we're ensuring that the medication history was accurate during the stay. I know Libby has some other things that she has done at her institution, so I will turn it over to Libby. Thank you, Megan. Along the lines of Megan talking about preventing admissions, um, that can be a huge role for pharmacists in the emergency department. And I think it's one of the few areas where we can really put, you know, a true cost savings to something. And it can be a very substantial cost savings, depending what you're looking at. And so we have used this before to help with garnering other FTEs um, here at JPS just with things, you know, similar to what Megan's done with being able to send them out, you know, on an oral anticoagulant instead of having to admit them and do bridge therapy, um, being able to do culture review and send them out on an actual oral antibiotic instead of having to admit them for IV antibiotics, or the fact that we do culture review and so we can call a patient, you know, and get them switched to the appropriate antibiotic, hopefully preventing them from then having to come back to the ER as well. Um, some other things that have come up um, that they really like to see as well, like we have done um, like a flagell desensitization. We did it in the ER because it's like a 12-hour protocol instead of having to admit them to the ICU for a 24-hour stay, which is a huge cost savings, you know, when you think of preventing even a 24-hour ICU admission is pretty significant. Um, and so those are just some nice hard dollar things. Um, that our C-suite has liked. I also, about three years ago now, we added an FTE to my ER team to add in like a swing person to help with like the evening hours when it's a little bit busier and kind of helping in for our night people as well. And what I really found helped us get those FTEs and really working with the C-suite was focusing on the specific goals the hospital has at the given time. Um, you know, they are really big here on our D disease state specific, you know, surveyors, you know, your stroke, your sepsis, your AMI, you know, they're really huge on how do we make those goals look better? How do we make our metrics look better? And so I literally ran reports of looking at these are the number of codes we are able to make it to and be present as a pharmacist. These were the ones we were not able to because we only had one pharmacist available and was really able to sell them on the fact that we would have someone else available. So we'd be able to be bedside at more of the emergencies and being able to make more interventions and helping meeting some of these metrics 
making our overall data look even better. It helps that, you know, those nursing specialty programs were really on our side with this just because we really have become such an integral part of all of those things. So really focusing on those types of interventions we've made and the fact that we can be doing more of those really helped garner that FTE for us. So that was huge, getting them on board and especially having nursing backing going into it really using that to tie into not only our pharmacy metrics, but their metrics as well was huge and really helped us. Um, so I think, you know, things like time studies on top of metrics are also very helpful um, when presenting these to the C-suite, just because it gives them a better idea of kind of why we currently can't, you know, split someone in half and go to two different things and why we need, you know, someone else to be able to provide that same value that we are for other patients. Um, so I know they love hard dollars and it's great when you're able to have those things, but those are some of the more, you know, soft dollar or metric based things that we were able to sell to them as well, which has been very helpful to us. Those are all great ideas. And I think wonderful for us to hear how you guys and other people have focused on the C-suite. And I know we've talked about a lot of different services and programs throughout this discussion, so you could explain how to do this and what metrics you're looking at, but are there any other services or programs that emergency medicine pharmacists have expanded into or you've used to help expand services to support and justify FTEs that maybe we haven't talked about? Definitely. And I'll start off here kind of focusing on some of the infectious diseases things that we have done within my institution. Um, recently, we started penicillin allergy questioning um, here, not only within the emergency department, but within the hospital as well. Um, so I'm sure you're probably familiar with from other institutions in the literature, but essentially identifying anybody that has a penicillin allergy, asking them a pretty extensive series of questions, just kind of ascertaining whether or not it's a legitimate allergy, whether it's something we can challenge, you know, with the hope of having a broader spectrum of antibiotics we can potentially then use on them. It's really ideal to do this in the emergency department before they're admitted and before they need antibiotics, just because, you know, doing it on the back end, it's always a little bit more of a time crunch, so it's better to be proactive about it. But that's been a huge um, savings here at our institution, something that's really help justify expansion because we've actually, um, from this, been able to avoid admissions um, for like neurosyphilis and different treatments that we were able to just give them the treatment instead of having to do any desensitization and kind of leading to ICU stays. So it's been a huge seller here at JPS and something that's really allowed us to expand our pharmacy services. And I know Megan wanted to talk about some of the infectious diseases related services her institution started as well. Yeah, so we, as I kind of briefly talked about before, how we were starting programs, basically beefing up our meds to bed. So we have started developing outpatient stewardship order sets that are, we started with skin and soft tissue infections. And one of the biggest focus is that we saw that patients were not getting started on appropriate therapy based on their signs and symptoms, as well as not ideal dosing and duration. So one of the things we have started to expand with our ability to discharge patients home with medication in hand is that we've started to create a formulary of certain antimicrobial agents that would follow these order sets. So it really kind of goes hand in hand. 
And one of the things that we are working through is we are getting the software for our outpatient program and we're building it into the ED. So it's really going to be part of us able to provide this service extension from the ED without taking us from the environment, which has really been helpful for us to actually increase FTEs and coverage in our emergency department. We're very new to it, very exciting. I know we're going to have some obstacles and hurdles, but I think it's just the beginning of something that we'll be able to do to overall make sure we're hitting our stewardship initiatives, being good stewards, as well as reducing um, re-emissions or emissions. And that's some of the things that we have done as far as stewardship initiatives. Like I said, we've started with skin and soft tissue infections, but we hope to continue to grow that into such things as, you know, urinary tract infections, so on and so forth. One of the things that we've been evaluating as well as leveraging our technician workforce into the medication history process, evaluating not just admissions, but also patients being discharged from the ED. We've done some pilots to evaluate this to really look at, you know, if the reason why the patient's coming in, could it potentially be medication related? But also since we're trying to discharge more patients with medications from the ED, this allows us to do a more thorough review of drug-drug interactions and ensuring that we're not going to cause a patient needing to be come back to the ED for any reason. So that is just something we were looking at, leveraging our technician partners into having more of a role within that and not just looking at admission medication histories. I don't know if Libby has anything she wanted to add more into that as well. Yeah. So we actually also do manage the medication history technicians within our emergency department. We actually recently, just about six months ago, moved them from being under the operational cost center to our clinical cost center, just because they were being pulled a lot, you know, into the operational spectrum. But it's been really great bringing them under the clinical umbrella and keeping in mind that Yes, we want to support pharmacist FTEs, but we are able to support pharmacy technician FTE expansion in the emergency department as well. Um, so it's been really awesome to be able to really onboard these medication history technicians, you know, teach them how to walk through it, how to do it appropriately, you know, how, what all to hit, um, clarifying allergies within the system as well. So we're able, you know, to remove ones that aren't necessarily real or valid. Um, and so it's been a huge help to our emergency department um, to be able to have these technicians. We went from about 40% of our medication histories being completed to we're already at over 80% and we're not even fully staffed yet with our medication history technicians. And it's been just awesome. We are working with them as well to notify pharmacists if they run into something that they think looks kind of weird or might need like further clarification. They know to reach out to us. They have better training um, and really expanding them into our clinical group has just been really groundbreaking and really huge for our department. And I know nurses love it because they're not having to do it since pharmacy is owning it. And their goal is to always have the medication history done before they are admitted, um, which has been a huge helpful for the physicians as well to have a better perspective on really what the patients are on, what to continue, what not to continue. Um, so it's been a very helpful service in our emergency department. And on, honestly, it was I thought it was going to be a little bit more difficult to get some of the pharmacists on board, you know, with managing the medication history technicians, but I think they really enjoyed that side of things as well and kind of expanding their role also. So it's actually been a win-win on both sides, which has been awesome. There's a few other transitions of care activities that 
you know, it's not always my favorite spectrum as an emergency medicine pharmacist, but it is one that's very important for us to take a role in just given the nature of where we work. And we do in my emergency department what are called social hold consults. Essentially, we have some patients who are looking for placement, but they don't really meet criteria for admission. So they will sit in our emergency department for up to 72 hours um, before they have to be admitted if we're not able to find placement for them in a nursing home or group home or go home with family or what have you. So the physicians actually consult us as the pharmacists to review their medications and then work with them to make sure that they are continued on those medications for those three days that they're sitting in our emergency department. Um, this actually came about from an incident before pharmacy was part of that consult of the patient didn't get continued on things. And so now we're a huge part of helping out the ED physicians who normally aren't as comfortable, you know, worrying about what medications they need to be continued on. So we help them with this. So that's been a huge satisfier and expander as well. Um, and the C-suite loves that because it's been a huge help for our physician colleagues. And then the final transition of care type activity we've recently added is actually, and it kind of goes along with some of the ID initiatives Megan's doing in her ED, is looking at discharge order review. So actually, like our, we look through our high-risk drug classes, they actually come into our queue to review their outpatient orders. So anti-epileptics, anticoagulation, antibiotics, insulin, those types of medications, they actually get reviewed by an inpatient clinical pharmacist before they go to the outpatient pharmacy to be filled. So we're able to really impact things like antimicrobial stewardship, you know, anticoagulation dosing and length of therapy and follow-up. And it's really allowed us to expand our services in that arena as well, which has been a huge help um, within our emergency department and within our institution because we're doing it on the inpatient side as well. So those are just kind of some of the other things we've added in at our institution. Those are a lot of great ideas. That's all the time we have today. I wanted to thank Megan and Libby for joining us today to discuss establishing emergency medicine pharmacist value and expanding services. Find more member exclusive content, including resources for self-development, leading pharmacy enterprises and teams, and practice management on the ASHP website. To further expand on the unique pharmacy service expansions in the emergency department, tune in to future podcasts led by Megan and Libby on pediatric and geriatric emergency department services. Thank you for joining us. And if you enjoyed the episode, be sure to subscribe to at ASHP official podcast. Thank you for listening to ASHP official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.